Mac Power Users, episode 483, Being a Compulsive Maker with Tiff Arment. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, and I am joined by my pal, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Mr. Hackett? I'm good, David. How are you? Excellent. And we have a guest today, uh, your friend and mine. Welcome to the show, Tiff Arment. What up, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited you're here. We've been uh, working on guests, and as soon as I came on the show, it's like I know, I know someone we need to bring on for their very first time. So thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm ex- I'm excited, nervous. I'm nervous. <laughs> no, you should don't be nervous. We're okay. We're all friends here. Um, okay, you said not to be nervous, so I'm done. All it's, right, uh, it's over. Yeah, it's done. So <laughs> I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but Tiff is one of my favorite people from the internet because she is uh, creative and artistic and fun to hang out with. And I get the pleasure of doing that several times a year. So uh, I count myself lucky for that. But today we're going to let other people hang out with you. We're going to have uh, a fun time talking about uh, what you do on the internet, your work offline as well. You know, we were going through this and it's like, you do a lot of things. You are very busy. And I think it'll be fun to get into that. Yeah, I do do a lot of things. When you start listing them out, you're like, oh, oh my goodness, there's mm-hmm. another one. <laughs> you're on the same number of podcasts I am. Like, <laughs> really? So in my mind, I think, oh, I have a lot of shows, uh, but I, I co host four and so do you. Like, it's, it's like you said, you put it in the outline. It's like, oh boy, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah, at least they're not all weekly. That's that's good. That's true. The thing that stands out for me with Tiff is that she's just like addicted to creation. Everything I see you doing, like all your photography, and we're going to talk about that in today's show, but even just like flipping through Instagram, you draw those cute little pictures you put in your son's lunch pail every day. It's like you're a person who's always creating stuff, and those are always interesting people to talk to. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm a compulsive maker. I can't not make something sometimes. <laughs> I like that. I like that as a as a, a label for yourself. I, I think that's the show title now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Tiff, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. <laughs> we, I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we mentioned that you do some podcasts. Uh, yeah. You've got several. Uh, one is Top 4, uh, where you guys get on and share your Top 4 lists. That and, one's hard uh, to explain to people. <laughs> that one, That's a tricky one. Well, give us any, what was the most recent episode? What was the topic for the most recent episode? The most recent episode was heist movies. So, and, and before that, we rated nuts. And before that, milk, I think. So it's it's very odd what we come up with, but we have fun every time. I guess it's kind of like, I like to say kind of a, like a kind of a comedy podcast. I don't know. It's very strange. Did, did Kelly's Heroes make it onto your top four heist movies? I don't even know what you're saying. Oh, man. So you guys missed the best one. Are you sure the... it's a heist movie? Because we went through very diligently to describe what an actual heist movie is. Uh, it's uh, it's in World War II, and it's a bunch of guys that... Uh, nope. Break Army through... movie. Done. Nope. This is a heist <laughs> movie. They, they break through enemy lines to steal, to rob a bank. And it's like... Oh, bank robbery movie different than a heist oh no you guys that's different than a heist movie how is this not a heist movie (laughs) i want to contest the rules anyway uh the the other one you've got another one uh make do Mm -hmm. why don't you explain that one too they all have fun names but you got to give them a little description 
That one I am on with Julia Scott, and we talk about the joys and anxieties about creating and making things. And it's not really a podcast about teaching you how to make stuff. It's more us, we call it test talking our way through our feelings about how we feel about making things and what that means and kind of what it's like to be a compulsive creator like the two of us are. Yeah. And then playing for fun, which is my favorite of your catalog. <laughs> it's uh, where you and Mike talk about video games that you like. You know, there's so many people making podcasts out there about gaming, but you guys just find stuff you love and talk about it. And it's very infectious. <laughs> yeah, we try to stay really positive on that one. And it's it's really fun because we also got into Twitch streaming because of the gaming. So we're like, if we're going to be playing the games, we might as well be doing it with an audience anyway. So yeah. it kind of turned into this big thing that was a once a month podcast and now it feels like it takes over way more time than that yeah well we are going to talk about live streaming or twitch streaming because i think that's kind of interesting from a technical standpoint as well and then also somehow i manage yes that one is just that's like <laughs> that's like the icing on the cake podcast it's 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 sweet and it's easy and it is a rewatch show of the office because I am a giant Office fan, and I co-host that with Micah Sargent. Now, have you watched the British one as well, or just the... I uh, have. That was my gateway, was was the British one, and then moved on to the American one, which I will say is way better. Just say, I don't care, come at me. I say, con- controversy on the Mac Power users. No, I, I agree, too. I, I agree. So you have, you have those four shows going, and we're going to get into some podcasting uh, stuff in a little while, but you also are an artist with like a real-life art studio, which I find really cool. I, I know a lot of people with uh, side projects, you know, they struggle to fit it in. Uh, you know, maybe you have a spare bedroom or something, but with with art, like I get the sense from your Instagram that it just takes up a lot of space. There's a lot, a lot of things to have laying around and you need space to be messy and to create. And uh, so you, you've got that going on as well. It makes me nervous when you say the word artist, which is something we talk about on Make Do. But I like to go there and I'm teaching myself how to paint. And when you do that with oil paints, they smell kind of bad. They're messy. Mm-hmm. They take a very long time to dry. So it just wasn't fitting into my home life to have something like to be able to do that and explore it and get better at something like that at home, because I just, I couldn't start a second painting if one was drying because it was taking up all the space I already had. So I went out, kind of got a space of my own that I share with a studio mate. Her name is Jamie. And it's just a place that we go and we paint and we can leave our stuff out. And it's absolutely glorious. It really is. It's probably the best investment I've ever made in myself. I think workspaces are so important. I mean, the more I, uh, the more I experience my own workspaces, the more I realize uh, how important they are. It really is. And it was one of those things that it was really difficult to decide to do because it's a big investment in yourself and what you want to do and your hobbies. And it's, tricky to come to terms with allowing yourself to be okay with with giving space for that kind of creativity. And it is one of those things that you have to give it space. Otherwise, how can you get any better? Because it's one of those hobbies that if you want to um, start working on cars, right, you need a lot of space for that. You can't just magically figure out how to do it without the <laughs> space. And 
I feel like that's yeah, what your family's going to get mad if you're taking apart a transmission in the dining room. Right. Like it's just, exactly. It's not going to go well. It's just it's not going to it's not going to fit in well with everyone's lifestyle and people are going to be mad at you and you're going to be frustrated. And it's just better to kind of move that to a place where you can feel comfortable. And yeah, so that was what I I kind of basically had to do if I wanted to improve on that skill and get any better. Well, you know, it's interesting because right before you talked about it, you, you know, you sound like you're almost guilty for getting this space, but you also said, I don't like to call myself an artist or kind of reference that. Um, and I, I think that's something that we do to ourselves. You know, it, it's so easy to, uh, you know, have this modesty about the things we do. And you don't have to be, you don't have to say that you're a world-class artist, but you are an artist. You cre- I've seen your art. You create art. I can say I create art. Sure. <laughs> I'm okay with. There's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, give yourself a break, I guess would be my, my comment, but I get it. I do the same thing. I, I actually, I recently, cause I, I hesitate to call myself a musician, but I was recently talking to a guy who said, well, do you pull your horn out and do you blow on it? Yeah. Well then you're a saxophonist, you know, <laughs> not saying I'm a good one. Yeah. But the, see those <laughs> words, they always come with so much weight and expectation that you, it makes me nervous. And this is again, what we talk about on make do all the time. Like you say something like, Oh, I'm an artist. And then if someone comes at you and says, Oh, well, where have you sold or what galleries are you in? And you're like, no, I, I, nothing like, you know, then all of a sudden you feel like the giant fraud that you feared you were in the first place. So it's those words, they're, they're weighty words, but I'll get there. I'll get there. You're also, you're also a a pen nerd. And this is where I have to put a fence around this conversation because then I could just lose you and David for the next hour. And I don't want to do that. Because I have enough pen addict in my life <laughs> elsewhere, but uh, you and I get to hang out at places like the Atlanta Pen Show uh, every year, and uh, that's something that I know you share with with Mike as well, your co-host on uh, Playing for Fun. I know y'all are kind of in that world together, and I know David looks over into that world sometimes and, and wishes he was deeper in it, I think. Uh, I don't know if I wish I was deeper in it, but I, I definitely have spent a few dollars at courtesy of Mr. Hurley. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's an enabler. That's what he is. Um, yeah, I, I think it's part of my joy in gear. I like stuff. I like art supplies and I like gear for things. And I feel like pens, it's kind of a beautiful object and something that's super functional at the same time. And I very much care about the writing experience and how a pen feels and and how the nib works and the different line variations you can get from different pens. So it's very quickly become an addiction for me because it was like I had the stationary bug since I was a lot younger. And all of a sudden someone comes into your life and says, look at all these things. And it's okay because there's a lot of other people that like these things. And you're like, okay, I can like these things with all these other people. And it just, it gets into your life and it has been quite a joy. And I'm just looking at all my pens like lined up very nice around me. And I try and use most of them as much as I can. What's your favorite right now? I have a couple of sailors that I really like. I have a Quaco student pen that I very much like. I have a Pelican that I very much like. I have a couple. I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven right in front of me, inked up, ready to go. I'll just grab them for doodling during podcasts or taking notes. Before Stephen yanks us forward in the outline, <laughs> I just want to say I recently bought a architect grind pen. I really like that. Oh, see, that's the exact opposite 
of what I like. <laughs> but that's what's so great about all of this is that you can find what you like and then you know and then you can pursue it. And uh, the the one thing I, I definitely want to talk about today at some point is you used to be a professional photographer and you've got lots of good ideas about photography, both on iOS and, and using um, you know, real cameras, I guess. Am I going to get in trouble if I say that? Nope. Uh, okay. And I want to, I want to talk to you about that because, uh, I think there's a lot of folks out there that always want to get better at taking pictures. Yeah. Um, I used to take pictures. I used to take wedding photos and engagement photos and baby photos and all that fun kind of stuff was, I guess my career that I jumped myself into from a previous career and it was it was great and it was a lot of stress because I was always so worried that I would just destroy other people's photos. Like I I would lose something or some piece of the technology would fail. I'd have like a critical card failure and all of your wedding photos are gone forever. And um, it was a thing that I loved doing. And I think I got pretty good at it. I really enjoyed working in Photoshop and editing the photos and making people feel really good about themselves. And so, uh, but eventually it just kind of fell out of favor. Um, I'm very strange like that where I just, I move on from career to career. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, look at that over there. That looks fun. Let's go try that for a little while. I'm done with this guy. Like, you know, just move on, try the next thing. So photography was just one of those stops along the way. And I kind of keep it in my life here and there. I take pictures of my son. I'll take some pictures for... Uh, friends for their Christmas cards and and various small projects like that, but I don't do weddings anymore. We actually had that happen in our family. Uh, one of my uh, my uncle and my aunt, when they got married, and this is back before digital photography, the photo studio burned down like two weeks after the wedding, and all the film was in it. <laughs> so they all they all did like rent tuxes and they just went and took pictures. But it was like a couple months later, by then my aunt was pregnant. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> well, at least they tried to recreate it. That's that's something. But oh, that yeah, see, that's really difficult to deal with. I'd, I would feel terrible. I, I dabble in photography as like a super like hobbyist level. And so probably like seven or eight years ago, some family friends of ours asked us or asked me to like take their family photos, like their kids. And, you know, we went to a nice park and did it. And I have never been more stressed in my life. Like I've done way scarier things professionally now, you know, and I just, I was like, this is, it's not a once in a lifetime thing. I used to get the kids together the next weekend to do it again. But I definitely resonate with that, that sort of fear because I had it, you know, and then you edit them and then you hand them over and, it's like, I hope they like what I did. I hope I, they like what I captured. And I, I I knew immediately that that sort of work was not for me in any way. Yeah. And it's it's also dealing with the people. Like, not everybody you're taking pictures of are professional models. And they all have the expectation that you as the photographer are somehow this magic being that is going to make them look like professional models. And (laughs) those two things don't really work well together for an outcome of satisfaction. And it does get tricky when you when you get certain people in front of the lens. It's like, I know you are a much more attractive person than what you are displaying, but you are so nervous right now that you won't let me take a normal picture of you. And it is it's one of those things that it became real to me that I can't just choose the ideal clients and get 
the perfect photos. And I can't choose the most beautiful weddings, although I tried to. I only shot outdoor weddings. I wouldn't do anything inside because I didn't want to have to deal with flash and all of that. And it, outdoor weddings just always looked more beautiful. So it was it was always that kind of struggle, too, of sometimes the photos just did not come out great. And honestly, it wasn't my fault. And it was because the people were nervous or whatever they had going on. And it was um, it was just one of those things that it, the joy started falling out of it because it's like, you know, you get the peak of, oh, this is so fun. And I meet all these people and I'm doing all this stuff. And and then it starts to becoming like, I have to book someone. I have to book someone next. I have to book someone next. And not all of them are going to be awesome. And so it just, I realized it wasn't a career for me. There's just something weird about an art you love, turning it into a thing where you make money. And quite often the transition is not pretty. I, I you know, I, I love woodworking. I've made half the furniture in my house, but every, the few times that I've agreed to make something for money, it's just been misery. And I think, you know, there, there's a huge difference between doing this for your love of doing it versus doing it because you're on the clock. Oh, Absolutely. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. We all have countless online accounts, everything from social media logins to things like that are really important, like online banking. And each one of those accounts deserves its own secure, unique passwords to help keep us safe. That's where 1Password comes in. You can use it to create strong, unique passwords. And the best part is you don't have to remember them. They're all stored in 1Password on all of your devices. So no matter where you are or what device is in your hand, you can log into all of your accounts easily. Now, a big part of online security is two-factor authentication. And 1Password supports that very easily. Say that you're on iOS and you log into something like Twitter and you have two-factor authentication turned on. You hit that 1Password extension authenticate with touch or face ID, and your two-factor authentication code is put on your clipboard so you can paste it right into the form. You don't have to jump back and forth because 1Password is really well integrated into iOS, into macOS to make these things easy. One of my favorite features of 1Password is the ability to add attachments to login items or to secure notes. So, So for instance, a lot of websites will have security questions, things like, What street did you grow up on? What was your best friend's name in fifth grade? And sometimes it's hard to keep all those straight. And so I will take screenshots of those and attach the screenshots to the login. So if I ever need the answers to those questions or my spouse does, or maybe someone at work does on our 1Password for Teams account, they have that information so they can get in quickly and easily. Head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial of 1Password. When you do sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepasswordcom MPU for a free 30-day trial and 20% off when you sign up. My thanks to 1Password for their support of Mac Power Users. All right, we've been hippie for a little while. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about your gear. Um, what are you using? I use an iMac Pro and I have um, the high-end GPU because gaming. How, how do you find the iMac Pro for gaming? You know, I've, I have to be honest, I've never, I have one. I've never loaded a game on it. I, I mean, is it keep up with all the, the most recent games? I'm not playing a lot of the most recent games. It keeps up with what I need it to keep up with right now. I haven't installed any kind of um, Windows 
boot camp. Boot camp? Is that the right yeah, word? Okay. No, not emulating Windows. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not emulating anything right now, but I could if I needed to. Stephen, do you ever run Windows on your Mac? Uh, on occasion, I have a uh, a virtual Windows machine in Parallels that I keep on like an external SSD that I use with my. I have Parallels installed on my MacBook Pro. Just there is the rare occasion if I'm helping somebody, you know, out in the world, maybe a client or something. Um, the rare times I do that where Windows is is necessary. But honestly, I haven't fired that thing up in a long time. I really don't have much of a need for it these days. Yeah, I did some screencast for Smile when they put um, Text Expander on Windows, so I I set it up for that, and I don't even know what happened to that image. <laughs> I probably would have to go buy Windows again if I needed to install it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Andy Anatko once said uh, putting Windows on his Mac felt like you know catching his father wearing a dress. <laughs> yeah. oh. I love that that visualization, but the, uh, but you know, I, I, I guess we shouldn't be so, uh, so mean anymore. I mean, windows is fine. No, but, it's not. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to do it once for one game for the incomparable and it was horrible. Oh really? What's wrong with, I haven't used it. So I don't really know. No, just the whole, the regular windows drama that every time you try and play anything, you need 10,000 installers and boot this up and it looks like the poltergeist screen shining on at you. And it's just, it's just, it's too much. Yeah. I, I yeah. try to avoid it at all costs, but I know eventually, uh, the show, our show playing for fun is going to push me into the realm of having to set that up. It's, it's coming for me. I mean, Mike built a whole gaming PC. <laughs> he did. I'm a little jealous. I've, I've been thinking about it. Uh, he sent me some specs for a gaming laptop, which sounds a little appealing. So might end up doing that in the future. I have this desire. I can't believe I'm making this on Mac Power Users. I really want to build a gaming PC, but I don't need or want to own a gaming PC. So maybe you and I can meet in the middle. Can you build it for me? And then I'll just I'll just pay you. We'll do that. We'll just, yeah, just ship everything to my I'll house. I'll just make it rain and, and you build what you need to build and I'll just sneak it into the house and I won't tell my husband. <laughs> yeah, well, just uh, tone down the RGB from what, from what Mike has. Uh, I can totally see that in you, Stephen, that you would want to like completely geek out and building the world's finest gaming PC, and that would be done, mm-hmm. and you'd be looking at it on the desk just saying... <laughs> now what? Yeah, yeah, like that Robert Redford movie. <laughs> now what? <laughs> That's why I want a Mac Pro. I could just unbuild and rebuild the Mac Pro endlessly. With the games y'all are, y'all are playing, are you using Steam for that? Are y'all playing games that run directly like... F- from Mac installers, or is there a split? Uh, Steam, mostly. Uh, we're also on Minecraft, which has its own stuff. <laughs> and we are also playing on the Switch every now and then. So it's kind okay. of a small variety. We haven't needed to branch out yet, but hopefully soon. Well, I, I love the Switch so much. It's become my gaming platform. I, I just think Nintendo... Oh, it's such a joy, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just kind of a casual gamer. So Nintendo is like right in the sweet spot for me. And I don't want to deal with drivers and all the other craziness that comes with PC gaming. Oh, neither do I. Neither do I. <laughs> really. I just wish it were easier. Steam makes it pretty easy, especially... But I have to wait for the Mac versions and a lot of the games to actually come out. And sometimes that takes time. Or sometimes it doesn't happen, I'm, I'm sure. Or it doesn't happen at all, yeah. which is garbage. But all right, unfair. so you got, you got the iMac Pro. Do you use a laptop or is, is the iMac Pro your only Mac? The iMac Pro is my only main computer. I will use whatever laptop is around in the house that month, which I cannot <laughs> keep track of. 
<laughs> what model it is because it's constantly changing. Uh, I will use that if we are traveling somewhere and I need to do something. I have um, I have my own partition on there, so it's sure. fine. And I will use my um, iPad Pro, which is large. <laughs> you got the big one. Feels like a computer. <laughs> yeah, did you, did you get the the twelve point nine one, the large one. Yes. That would make sense for someone who does as much art as you. Do do you do much art on the uh, iPad Pro? Yeah, that's kind of my new thing. I'm really into Procreate right now, the app, and drawing in that. And it's really a fantastic app. And before, I was pretty intimidated about using it. It just seemed really dense with how many brush sets you can have and all dealing with all the layers. And then at one point, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to draw something. I'm going to pick something to draw. I was on a plane. This was only about a month ago. And I'm like, I'm just going to try to do it. And I did. And it, it was actually really intuitive if you've used any kind of other art app. And especially with the pencil, it's so nice with um, the different pressure sensitivities. It it deals with all that really well. And then, and all the layers that you can use. And I could translate my knowledge of using Photoshop layers into the Procreate layers, it was just a little bit different. Instead of doing filters and photo um, adjustments, I'm doing layers of drawings. So it, it ended up being really great and intuitive. And it has this fantastic feature of time lapse. So it's on by default. And so as you're doing a drawing or creating something, you can then go to the time lapse of it and see the entire process. It saves it for you. I love and that so, so much. That's just magic. It's it was really, really cool. Have you published have you published any of your time lapses? No, but I'm going to. I'm going to. It's a it's a plan. If you do before Sunday, let us know. We'll we'll put it in the show notes. I, I will. I just watched um because I'm a Star Wars nerd, the uh celebration convention, whatever they had in Chicago recently, they had a session there by Doug Cheng, who's been the concept artist for Star Wars for 25 years. And someone I'm desperately trying to get on Mac Power Users, if anybody out there has a connection. <laughs> but the uh, he was just talking about the same thing, how he had been drawing with paper and pen for his entire career, but Procreate has turned him to the iPad. And, the, um, and he had some samples of his animations up there as he was doing some concept art. And it seems like we've got some kind of inflection point here where a lot of artists are starting to to get religion about iPad. Yeah, it is just such a nice, convenient way to travel and be able to still make something. I started using art on the iPad for plane rides because the idea of packing up a whole bag of little fiddly art supplies and getting them all out, whether you're doing watercolor painting or even just pencil drawing, it's such a, a hassle to remember all of that stuff, pack it all up. And I had my iPad with me anyway. So it's like that became a place for me to focus on doing digital art. And it was really nice that like this, in, I get into that mindset of I'm going to be getting on a plane or I'm going to be stuck in an airport or I'm going to be traveling. This is the time that I get to play with digital. And it's pretty freeing because you're bringing your entire supply with you just on your iPad, which you would normally have anyway, for other reasons. And it really opened up a big door for me with that and really being able to enjoy digital art 
like I see so many people doing online and I'm in awe of the work that they do. And now I feel like I get to play with that too. And as someone who I am definitely, you know, going back to the beginning of this podcast, I am definitely not an artist. You know, I, I was told when I was young, I was not an artist and I, and I internalized that, but the, it's uh, okay. I was told I have no rhythm. Yeah. So <laughs> we all have our failings, but, yeah. but, but, uh, but I got procreate too. And just because I'm a nerd, I, um, I have been occasionally in front of the TV or whatever, I will download a picture that I like and you can put it in as a layer and you can turn the opacity way down and yes. you, can, you can trace over it and it gives you a starting point. And then suddenly I'll find myself changing the shading a little bit or making a little bit of change. But honestly, I'm, I'm tracing uh, for most of the dimensions and everything on the, on the image. And I, I've never shared any of them. They're super, you know, basic, but uh, it's an enjoyable process if you're out there. Tracing helps train your eye, right? Like it's teaching you to see what, like to see and translate this image. And then what can I use in order to make it look like, uh, you know, make it look like that in a drawing. And so I don't think tracing's bad. Uh, I started tracing and then you, you get better and you move away from that. Like, yeah, it's, it's a really great, wonderful way to start. And I love that Procreate makes that so easy. Yeah. I guess that was my point. If you've got an iPad Pro, regardless of your skill level, uh, Procreate can really uh, give you some wings. What about the iPhone? Does that does that play into, into what you're doing? I know you, you publish a lot of photos like through Instagram, a lot of stuff from your daily life. So I think it's involved there. But ha- have you tried any of these tools on the smaller device? No, because it's just it's just too small. Like I, Mm -hmm. I can't draw on it. I will use it very heavily for Instagram. I'll use it for looking on Pinterest for inspirational images or watching other artists just paint sometimes that that's really great to see. And an app that I love on my phone for art related things is the Copic app, which Copics are these alcohol-based markers. They're very profesh. (laughs) They're super nice, very lush, beautiful markers. And they have this app for the company does that is just absolutely stellar because there are tons of colors and they're all labeled with numbers and crazy names. And you can just get into the weeds if you start having a collection of these things and you, you need to keep track of them. It's basically a tracking app for your marker collection. And not only that, you can just check off which ones you have, but it gives you all of the ones that are there. It shows you the shading that is available for them. It lets you create a shopping list or a wish list. And then in addition to the list of the things, this is what I have. It's just, it's probably, it's one of the most incredible apps I've come across for something like this for a brand that was really surprisingly way more useful than I ever thought it could be. And I've showed I've showed it off to some friends and even people who don't have these markers. They're like, whoa, this is really cool. It makes you kind of want to buy them, which is brilliant. Yeah, it, it is funny when uh, companies that make tangible products make an app, but then do a really good job of it. I, I feel like I think it was at Moleskin, I think, did a, did an app as well that somebody said it was really good. And they I think they even have a calendar app now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's cool. I, I, I guess, you know, the company's, you know, seeing the future, trying to get involved with that as well. Well, they're doing a very good job because I brag about this app to a whole bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, what about, uh, what we're going to use David's term, I'm gonna put it in finger quotes, uh, real 
cameras? What are you, what, uh, what are you shooting with? <laughs> My real camera. Um, I shoot with a Canon 5D Mark IV. And I love my one um, one thirty five millimeter prime lens and my forty millimeter pancake lens. Those are the two that I take out most of the time with me, always. <laughs> and we also have a um, a Sony A seven R three, and I don't love it. I like it for its size. It's nice and compact compared to the the big Canon five D and. Uh, but I'm not thrilled all the time about the pictures that come out of it. They're a little bit too saturated for my taste. So, cause I, I have a very specific style that I like to try and achieve. And I do go heavy on the Photoshop, but in a way that I like to make it look as natural as possible that I, I will take a photo and I will soften it a lot with, various filters and actions and things that I use in Photoshop. And that is, is kind of my aesthetic when it comes to photos. And and that's why I like the way that Canon shoots, especially when you use like a longer lens, like like 135, that you can kind of get that soft, very low depth of field look from some things. It's interesting. You, you compare the Canon to the Sony. I've, I made the switch a couple of years ago and I, I can't help but think that the Sony's are somehow they're more, this is not quite the right way to say it, but they're more scientific. Like they're more, uh, sort of exact than the, and I had a Canon 70D for a long time. I I didn't have a 5D, but I felt like the Canon felt more like a, like an older, camera and the Sony mm-hmm. felt like a computer that happened to take pictures in a way. And and I'm not sure if I've ever put my finger on exactly why, but I, I do, I think I understand what you're saying about the, the difference in feel. Well, cause like I, when I shoot, I shoot in full manual mode. So I like that control over everything. And there's something about the Canon that I just really like clicking some big hefty wheels <laughs> while I'm mm-hmm. shooting to to get what I want as opposed to where I feel like the Sony is I'm fighting with it a lot of the times where it's like it wants to do this one thing and I'm like no 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 I don't want you to do that I want you to like even when you put it in manual mode it just it still feels like it's it's giving me the beeps and the boops and I want to be left alone with just big chunky click wheel to change my aperture, you know, when I want to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I think that you can get excellent photos out of either, but it's kind of a matter of how you want the the camera to work for you and, and when you want it to get out of the way. And I'm not sure the Sony ever does. I think the Sony always wants to insert itself into what you're doing. It does. It's very pushy. And <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's the same way that I really like to deal with my uh, photo processing on when I, once I get all the digital images off of the camera is that I really love using bridge. I think I'm probably the last person in the history of the universe to ever (laughs) use this program, but I like all of my stuff organized in folders just on my desktop. I don't like stuff hidden anywhere. I don't like things being copied. I don't like having to like fight my program to be like to, in order to get access to my file. Like I just want there to be one file or, and then have a second file that I've been editing and, and that's it. I don't want anything hidden away or I don't need to be protected from my own work. Like a lot of the other photo apps tend to do. So that's why I really just like 
bridge as a general interface to access my folders and it because it does nothing it it does absolutely nothing unless you tell it to do something and it's it's just like the canon it has the big chunky wheels you can just click on a menu and be like okay i can add my metadata to my photos and and select all and bam they're added and that's it and that stops there it doesn't try and do anything fancy and then you can use bridge to open up any photo that you want to work on in camera raw, do your adjustments and then leave it at that. Or you can then open it up in Photoshop to, to take it a little bit further. So I, I just, I really like having that control over my workflow. You shouldn't feel bad at all. I took a walk this morning and listened to connected podcast and discovered there's a bunch of people still using aperture. Oh yeah. I heard from all of them. <laughs> the whole user base. <laughs> there are. <laughs> But just real quick, um, where do you see the difference between the fancy SLR and the iPhone camera? I mean, there's a lot of people listening that that either have an SLR and they're not sure when they're supposed to use it or they're considering it. At what point do you think it makes sense as the iPhone camera gets better every year? I mean, you're not going to get the same look from having a gigantic lens on a DSLR versus an iPhone camera. Like I just, I don't see that happening. I, I see a lot of the photo processing happening within the software of an iPhone. And I think that a lot of that's pretty amazing, but it's never quite right. Like the whole portrait mode, it's, it's never perfect. It's always a little weird. It's fine when you have the pictures pretty small in Instagram or something like that. But there's really, I don't know how you can achieve that in the future with with the, the, just the way a big camera can can take those gigantic full resolution pictures like it's just i feel like it's a whole different world it depends on what you want to use the photos for i use my iphone camera almost all the time i don't even travel with my dslr i really don't because it's big and it's clunky and it's it's really obvious when you're out with some friends and you're like, let me get my camera. And you're like, boom, boom, right. It's like this giant thing in everyone's face. And yeah, you would get beautiful pictures from it, but I get the same amount of joy from my iPhone pictures of my friends than I would some really high-end DSLR picture. But yet I will love to have my my big Canon when I, it's like the holidays or my son's being super cute and playing in the yard. And I just want some like really beautiful, bright photos that I might eventually print out and put on my wall. And so that's where I see the difference. Um, I, I, I do have to say when it comes to like Instagram and stuff, I'm, I'm a purist and I like to just use my iPhone. I mean, it's like, in the name, right? It's instant. It's not like whole processed. And so I get way more joy by posting photos or trying to get beautiful photos from my iPhone and putting them on Instagram than trying to compete with people who are using DSLRs. It's like that whole process kills the joy for me. And that really helps because I just think it is, it is something that people struggle with. It's like, do you feel bad? You know, you get a fancy camera. Do you feel bad that you don't take it with you every time you leave the front door. Well, you shouldn't. I mean, uh, I think you have the fancy camera. You can be deliberate about when you use it. I think that that's the thing with being deliberate, right? Like you don't just get a fancy camera because you're like, I just want to take great pictures. Like that's not really going to help. I feel like I have the fancy camera because I like the art of it. If I can 
say it like that. I like the process of using the fancy camera. I enjoy the idea of creating something with that. I feel like that's a separate need or a separate activity than how I would use my iPhone camera. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniFocus, the application I use every day to capture, manage, and complete my tasks and projects. One of my favorite reasons to use OmniFocus is its powerful review tools. Specifically, with OmniFocus, you can assign a specific review frequency to each project. For some active projects, I may set the frequency to once a week, and for other less active projects, it may be once every six months. Regardless, this system builds in an easy way for me to stay on top of projects that may otherwise fall through the cracks. The trick is, at least once a week, I take a look at those projects that are due for review, and it makes a huge difference. Once I take a look at those projects, I often find things that I can update, revise, or even kill. Think of it as Game of Thrones, but for projects. Every week, something must die. I love having these powerful review tools in my task manager, and it saved my bacon more than once. Over the years, the team at the Omni Group has made this feature even more powerful, and it's easy to use on all of the various platforms, including the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. My weapon of choice for review continues to be my fancy iPad with a cup of tea somewhere away from my desk. For some reason, I find it easier to kill projects when I'm not sitting at my desk. Go figure. Either way, if you've got OmniFocus installed, start using the review process now. You'll be surprised at how powerful it is and how much better you'll feel once you have a regular review practice. If you don't have OmniFocus, download the free trial and see what I mean. The Omni Group sweats the details, and this is just one of many features that you'll love. Thank you, Omni Group, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So we were talking about uh, sort of the the line between uh, an iPhone and then when it's time to go to uh, DSLR. And uh, I wonder for those out there who, you know, may be considering this, who, who have an iPhone, but maybe they're, they think they're ready to uh, to step up to something something better and more flexible. Uh, for you, what is sort of the marker when that's the right time? And, and do you have any suggestions for someone wanting to, to get started with uh, with a larger camera? I feel like it's the right time when you feel limited by what you can achieve with your phone camera. Because if you're looking at the picture and just like, I just can't get what I want. I can't recreate what's in my mind's eye of what I want these photographs to be. And I think that that's when it becomes time to step up the gear to help you achieve the vision that you have for what you want to create. Yeah, that that's where I want to stop. I want to stop right that was there. That's really good. <laughs> it's like it's like somebody makes four podcasts would say something like that. <laughs> Such a professional. Uh, no, I think that assessment is is exactly how I think about it too. And and I think it applies Honestly, I think it applies to more than just cameras. I think, you know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about different gear or, you know, I talk to people who have podcasts and say, you know, when should I, when should I, you know, upgrade from GarageBand to Logic? When should I buy this other microphone or do this other thing? And I think you're totally right. When the, when the gear that you have is, is holding you back or, or it's preventing you from doing something that you, that you, you can make otherwise you can feel and you can see in your mind, but you can't quite get there. I think that's a great line. Uh, I think that's a great place to think about it. Yeah, you don't want your gear to stand in the way of of what you want to make or what you want to achieve. That shouldn't that shouldn't be your stumbling block and once it starts to be that, that's when it, it's it's time to 
to help you help yourself in in achieving what you need? Well, I am. Um... I, I agree. And I think there is room to have, I've gone back and forth over the years. At one point I, w- I was trying to just live on the iPhone uh, camera, but then once I started doing all this video stuff, I got a big boy camera. And all of a sudden, like when we have the high school dance or a holiday and I bring that fancy camera, everybody thinks they're the most amazing pictures just because, you know, the glass is so much better than what you have in the mobile mm-hmm. device. And and I understand, though, the, the the tension because Apple keeps upping its game every year. And, you know, but then again, the SLR cameras just get better every year, too. Right. So, they're yeah, they're they're both improving in a pretty good rate. I mean, well, Canon's a little slow sometimes, but that's OK. That's Apple, true. <laughs> they're 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 working on it. They're trying. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I switched to Sony because uh, on the video side, at least Canon just is not keeping up. And I was willing to make those sacrifices we talked about a few minutes ago so I could do 4K in a body that size. But Canon has sort of let that side of things go, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, so are there any apps that you would recommend to folks that are interested in photography that you particularly like? I don't use any photography apps, honestly. I just use the built-in camera. Uh, again, it's it's more of a zero to joy for me. <laughs> I don't want to be fiddling with finding the right tool to use. Sure. When it comes to taking pictures on my phone in particular, because that is that's more immediate. I'm walking down the street, I see a pretty flower, bam, take a picture of it, move on, right? Like that's <laughs> that gives me the most joy and satisfaction when I'm using my iPhone camera. And and one of the things Apple's nailed with the native camera on the iPhone is that speed, that mm-hmm. the, the moment from, say, I want to take a picture to the moment I'm pushing the shutter button, I don't think there's anything faster. Right. And especially with the little toggle on the lock screen, like there's there's really no replacement for that immediacy that you can get from that. And I don't want to be poking around on another app and then have to, all right, now let me go pick through my filters and this kind of, like, it's just, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And if you want to talk about filters, I have things to say about filters. <laughs> I think, I think that is exactly what we should talk about next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cause I can't leave that hanging too long. You know, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, I, I'm, I'm now anti-filter. I have to say, cause it, Instagram is my photo sharing app of choice. Now that the iPhone camera has gotten so much better, I feel like filters are destroying people's photos. And it makes me a little crazy because the photos now that you're getting are so clear and and pretty great color dynamics and really accurate temperature that you don't need the filter to hide the flaws anymore. That's the way it used to be. Before, when the cameras weren't so good, just slap some sort of like 70s cool filter on there and you're like, look at my photo, it's awesome and cool. But now it's those filters are just degrading the photos too much. And I'm finding that the more heavy filter used people on Instagram that I see them using all these filters. I just don't like their photos as much anymore. You speak the truth. You speak the truth. Right? I was there in the seventies. And like when we had those like sunspots in our pictures, all we could think about was how do you get rid of that? You know, how do we prevent that? And now <laughs> people are taking a, you know, umpteen megapixel picture and just like, you know, turning it back 40 years. It's like, what is going on here? I mean, like sometimes, okay, sometimes that can be fun. 
But when I'm talking about like specifically iPhone photos, a lot and the filters that are on Instagram, they they just muddy up your photo so much. I feel like the, it's a lot clearer if you just you can do adjustments and you can move the sliders and increase the brightness and increase the contrast and put a little bit of a, um, a softer haze on it, you know, with the, the fade slider, but leave the filters alone. Like let, let them go, let them go out to pasture. We don't need them. Anymore. I was at a family event recently and my daughters are super into this Fuji uh, film application where it, it actually burns the date onto the photo, just like the old, Fuji uh, cameras used to. I don't know if you guys remember, but yeah. it would li- literally burn like the f- into the negative. It would burn the date of the image, and and just take a terrible picture. And she's these kids are like really into it. I I, I really had one of those get off my lawn moments. I couldn't believe <laughs> that they that they wanted to t- take a camera that can take these amazing pictures. And now let's just intentionally make it terrible. Yeah. I mean, there's a place for like fooling around with Polaroids and all kinds of fun stuff like that, of course. But I just I think in general, lay lay off the film. Just use it as like a little spice. Stephen has been strangely quiet the whole time. <laughs> Are you heavy filter user? Am I hating all over you right now? No. Uh, I mean, I definitely. Ha- Are you crying? I definitely have evolved like everybody else. Right? Like in the beginning of Instagram, that was a, a much bigger deal. And I will use them sometimes, especially I mean. Like that, my most recent picture on Instagram was indoor. The lighting was really bad. And so I was like, okay, like a filter can cover up yes. all the terribleness that happened to this photo. But uh, yeah, I think you're totally right where you can make those adjustments and get something that looks really good and then not have to uh, to tinker with it too much. Um, you know, I think there's a place, especially on Instagram for people who, you know, you go, sometimes you go to an Instagram profile, like everything is the same, right? Like they have a very defined aesthetic and, you know, whatever that is, all their photos. The color themed Instagrams. Yes. You know, That's everything is uh, brown and orange and, you know, anything blue or green or cool has been just drowned out. Like, that's fine. That's what you want to do. But uh, I think it's a lot more interesting just to share what's actually happening in your life and not have it so uh, perfectly manicured. And I do kind of miss the days of Instagram where, yes, we had more filters, but maybe there were fewer accounts like that at the same time. See, I don't really mind those accounts. I, do, I, I kind of find pleasure in like monotone or like mm. two-tone something. And those aren't usually, at least the accounts I follow, they're not usually filters. They're just people curating what they decide to post. They're like, I will only sure. post anything that is, I take a picture of it if it's pink, right? And it's just all pink. So right. I don't know. I kind of find, I can see the beauty in that. And I'm not going to follow 10,000 of them because that's overwhelming. But one or two, that kind of feels kind of nice and fun, especially if the photos are good. Yeah, I, I like the black and white filters, but the uh, but I use them sparingly at the same time. See, black and white filters, I guess those are the exception. Yes, I can make exceptions for black and white because you can't really take black and white photos. I mean, unless you use a specific app or something. But still then, that's just another filter. Yeah, every time someone takes a picture of me and I'm not smiling, I, I apply a black and white filter and pretend it's my punk rock album cover in my head. <laughs> My son thinks that people in the past were just black and white. Yeah. Like he's just <laughs> like they, he's like when did everyone get color? <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. Um one uh, one last thing on photography, uh for folks out there listening, whether they're shooting with a fancy SLR or their their iPhone camera, what is one thing everybody could do to make better pictures? 
Oh, all right. I know. I'm laying it on you here. Straighten your pictures. Please look at your horizon line and just straighten it. There is a grid built in to like everything. Just use it. Straighten that picture. That's all I ask. Like, please, because that always ruins a photo for me so much when it's not straight or it's just like just off just enough that you're like, ah, can't take it. And I also don't like the intentional crooked photos. It drives me nuts. But that's just me. I have a lot of intentionally crooked photos in my Instagram account. Oh, no. Do you? (laughs) Oh, no. I can't look back at them. (laughs) Don't look back. Don't scroll. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do have um, three other things that people could do. Well, I guess three total is straighten them, brighten them and and color uh, temperature adjust if if it's needed. But rarely now because of how good the iPhone software is. You you don't really need to do those other other things as much. Maybe brighten. Brighten always helps. Yeah, and playing with the temperature adjust, even if it was on an iPhone, sometimes you'll find a better mix for the image. And it's mm-hmm. so, yeah, so and easy it gives, now. You get to pick a different mood, yeah. right? You're like, oh, do I want to feel like it's a warm day or it's freezing outside? Yeah. But please straighten. Just, just straighten it. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> we've thing. had a lot of photographers on the show. Nobody's ever made that point before, but you're right. I mean, you don't want your pictures to look like you're at sea all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. They make me slightly nauseous when they're just a little bit. Maybe that's just because I get carsick, but it's uh, I, I like a nice straight horizon line. And even in the built-in Apple Photos app, uh, straightening them is very easy. And they, they do overlay a grid. So as soon as you start to make that adjustment, you can get it right. That's right. There's no excuse. Just do it. It'll make your picture so much better. You're welcome. You're welcome, everyone. Uh, so let's shift gears a little bit and and talk about podcasts. We ran through your shows uh, a little while ago, and I'm really curious to hear how you uh, got started in podcasting. You know, having four regularly published shows is it's a lot, and I wonder how how those early days were. Hmm, it's hard to remember. Really, just kind of happened to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess it started on the incomparable. I started doing some stuff with them here and there and being asked to be a guest on shows like this. I really started to enjoy it. Um, My husband has a big podcast and every once in a while I would be on there to torture John Syracuse. And that was really well received. I got a lot of really wonderful, positive feedback. And I think that that kind of, anytime you get positive feedback about something and someone tells you, you're good at something or they like the sound of your voice and you're less like, Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. And then you're like, I want to do more of that and maybe a little bit more. And I just, it kind of rolled into uh, this is what I do now. I have these shows and I started getting ideas for shows and people pitched me ideas and basically all in one year after, I mean, top four has been for a while. We came up, I came up with the show. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was my idea but it uh we developed the show together and it that was running for a couple years and then I don't know just all of a sudden last year I <laughs> I pitched Micah because it was his idea for somehow um, somehow I managed he had wanted to mm-hmm. do an office show and he at one point was like oh I'd love for you to be on a, ge- a guest on it and then a year went by and and he didn't start it and so I went to him and I was like 
I want to start the show and I want to be your co-host. I don't want to be a guest. And yeah. that felt really bold. And I was very nervous to tell him that and ask him that. But right away he was like, yes, let's do it. So I guess it was just, he needed a little push and together we made that show and it's really fun and I feel really proud of it. And then at the same time, I, kind of had the idea of playing for fun and I pitched that to Mike and he was like yes let's do it because we've been looking for a show to do together because we're such close friends and it was perfect because we both love games so much and talking about games and playing games we're like well we're playing them anyway might as well make a show about it so we started playing for fun and then at the same time that those two things started Julia Scott approached me and right around the time I had gotten the studio space she was like I need to do a show about feelings and art and I want you to do it with me and I was like wow this is amazing okay (laughs) so it came about as I I decided I was tired of waiting for people to ask me to do a show with them and so I went out and decided to be bold and start shows with other people and then another one just came to me at the same time I finally got asked and it just then all of a sudden I have all these shows that I'm working on so it it literally all happened within months of each other yeah that's usually how it goes you have one and then you wake up and you have six it's like what what happened I don't understand all I do is talk on Skype (laughs) the top four is incredible all of them are incredible top four holds a special place in my heart Uh, right up until the point you and Marco eat or drink a bunch of things and like, I'm nauseous just listening. So like, you know, like you had, you had an episode recently where you ranked milk beverages. Like, yeah, that just saying that is so upsetting. It's not good. Like it's not okay. When I pitched that idea, we were both like, that's just bad. But then we're like, we have to do it. Actually, yeah. it's good that it's making us feel these visceral feelings because now we have to do it. Yeah, yeah. You did uh, Starbucks, both hot and cold drinks. I mean, if you're looking for a fun podcast uh, and and you like hearing people who, I mean, obviously, I mean, you and Mark have been together a really long time, who like know the buttons to push for each other, and <laughs> it is it is a joy every time. I, I don't miss an episode. Well, thank you. I I love doing that. Show. Unless you do milk again, I may uh, you may lose me if you do uh, milk part two. I promise we'll <laughs> never do milk part two. I promise. And we don't just eat stuff. We also like watch movies and listen to music. And I think one of my favorite episodes of that show was um, maybe the misheard Eddie Vedder lyrics. That was Marco's idea. And the the worst Weezer singles. That one was pretty good too. That was also <laughs> that was Marco's good. idea. <laughs> It was good. Um, I also want to talk about playing for fun. Uh, like, like you mentioned, a large part of that show is the the Twitch streaming. So those who who may not be familiar with that, uh, what is Twitch as a platform, and and you know what is watching a Twitch stream entail? What does that sort of look like? So Twitch streaming is essentially, I guess, YouTube for gaming, uh, but it's it's happening live, and or some of them you can rewatch, but they don't last super long. I think they're around for maybe a month. I'm sorry if I get that wrong, but oh well. Uh, basically, you kind of go on and you share the gaming experience with the people who are playing. So there are people in a chat room that you can interact with, and there is a game being played. And it's just kind of a fun community event performance, really, for gaming. 
So, and, and you guys do that as part of the show. Um, and I know we, we were talking before the show, you haven't, you, you're not the one who set all that up, but I would imagine it's kind of complicated to have your computer connected and, and streaming to the internet all the time. Or at least when you're in I it. can't even imagine how complicated it is because I do not do it. <laughs> like it, it is. It took a while. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe not a while, but I'm sure it, it took some time to figure out all of the various settings and adjustments and and little nuanced things. And we had someone help Mike through the process to start getting it all set and he's done an amazing job with that so it's it's all him <laughs> he he handles it all i um i show up on discord and uh and we just we we go and I, I feel like when steven makes your gaming pc that will all just be baked in he'll have solved that problem for you that's right oh i hope so because oh that because then it becomes my problem i have to figure it you all need out. a sign you can hang <laughs> on the wall that whenever you're streaming it like the on-air sign for whatever that would be so just big lights up in the room. We could just build those LEDs right into the gaming yeah. PC mm-hmm. and you could put it on the desk. The more lights, the the faster it runs, right? Like the the better it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's what Mike told me. I saw I've seen his. It's full of ra- full of rainbows. Why would he have all those lights <laughs> if it didn't help performance? I mean, I'm curious about the performance aspect of it. You know, we do live podcasts from time to time and it's it's obviously very different than like what we're doing today. And I've watched some of y'all streams. I'm not a I don't play or particularly enjoy video games, but I've watched some of y'all stream sometimes if y'all tweet that you're live and I'm just in the office. It's kind of like hanging out with two of my friends as they they do something together. And I wonder what that's like to be on the other side of it. The way you put it where you feel like you're hanging out with some friends playing games, that's exactly what it should feel like. That's what the idea of the whole thing is, especially the way we come at gaming in that us in the chat room, we're all just kind of hanging out if you were a group of friends who all liked kind of playing games together and it was two people's turn to play and there's a room full of other people you're all just kind of hanging out watching games i don't know i'm a game watcher so i understand the concept of enjoying watching other people play a game so it's this it's it's trying to have that community friendship hangout aspect But at the same time, it is a bit of a performance. It is a bit of a, you know, it's, it's, it makes the stream better if Mike and I have funny jokes or we play pranks on each other in the game or we come across something and you, I find that the most difficult part of it has been remembering to react out loud. A lot of the times with certain things, you're like, oh yeah, there's people watching me do this. So normally I would just sit and like, enjoy it, but I have to vocalize what I'm feeling or thinking or seeing or, or doing or or deciding to do or what my plan is. And that takes a little bit of getting used to, but it hasn't been so bad because I'm playing a game with one of my best friends anyway, and who I would have a banter with. And there just happens to be a couple of people in the chat room that we interact with also, and we'll kind of bring the things that they say into the gameplay and like they make suggestions and maybe we'll do that and make jokes or name things in the game after some of the people in the chat room. So there's like this nice give and take that happens throughout the streams. And it's, it's more than a performance. It's, it's fun and it's friendly and it just, 
it brings a lot of joy and it connects people in a community that normally you wouldn't really experience that. I mean, often gaming is solitary, you know, when you think about it, at least the way I think of games, because I never really got into the massively multiplayer games. But but even then, you're only like, you're still yourself and you can talk to other people, but it's not, I don't know, something about Twitch, there's just like this really fun community hangout aspect. That was my next question. Does that make it more or less fun having that extra element? I think it makes it more fun. It does because they'll like the chat, especially because our whole premise of the show is fun and friendly and nice. (laughs) You know, like we're just kind of nice. And so a lot of the people who show up in the chat are also just really nice and they're friendly and they want to make jokes with us and no one is crude or offensive or hurtful. And so we don't have to really deal with any of that. And I think that that makes the whole experience joyful for everybody. The best, the best window into the internet. We have the same experience with our listeners. And it's like, when I talk to people who have other shows that, that don't have that experience, it's, it's really sad. You know, So I'm glad that you guys. Yeah. Steven, are you going to set up a Twitch machine? I think, I think we should. I think we should have Steven playing games online an hour a day. That, I don't think it's going to happen. And, and and you should definitely have a live <laughs> mic. So we could we could hear at the beginning the begrudging acceptance. And then halfway through, it would just be mumbles and anger and may, maybe drink. And then I just rage quit. <laughs> and then maybe drinking by the end of the hour. Yeah. See, I don't know if I could Twitch stream on my own. That's a whole nother beast, right? Like the idea of playing a game, performing for an audience, interacting with a chat and that's an even higher level of I need to literally vocalize every single thing that I'm doing in order to be entertaining. And I would just flounder. It would be horrible. I need someone to bounce stuff off of. Uh, (laughs) So I'm so thankful that Mike is there and that we're doing it together. Podcasting is the same. Podcasting by yourself is can make you crazy. Uh, It's, it's not, it's not fun out of, out of these shows. uh, How, how many are you editing? Are you spending any time uh, in Logic putting these things together? I edit somehow. I manage. I've I'd taken that over oh, a couple months ago now, and I have to thank you, Stephen, for teaching me how to color coat and <laughs> to to color my tracks. It has yes. been so much better since I've done that. Uh, but yeah, that's um, right now. That's what I'm editing. I might take over playing for fun in the future. We've discussed that, but I don't have to yet. So that's good because. I really don't want to take up all of my time editing my shows. I like mm-hmm. that I don't have to do that. I'm fine with the one that I have because somehow I manage does have an aspect of creativity that I find joyful in the editing because we're pulling a lot of the clips from the show, The Office, that we're talking about. And I really like trying to find like just the right moment using just the right sound clip to make something funny or punctuate something or just like in the episode I'm editing today, I'm, I kind of went back and even though it's taking me longer to do, I decided to put in kind of a running joke with the sound clips that I add in. And so I find that part of it creative and fun and, and I've been really enjoying it. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people who really dislike it, and 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 then I think a lot of people, and I think this is where I fall. Maybe it sounds like maybe it's where you are. Like I I do, I do a lot of it, but I do it because it helps shape what comes out the other end. So something even like Mac Power uses, I go through and I do a very thorough cleanup because I want it to be 
you know, extremely polished and sound the best that it that it absolutely can and be as clean as possible. Then there's opportunities, like you said, where you can drop in clips and do funny things. And I get to do a lot of that over on Connected, where, you know, sometimes the edit is its own character in, in a way on some episodes. And it sounds like maybe that's where you are. You, you like it when you can, uh, because you could shape something, but you don't just want to crank stuff out. And I, I totally get that. Uh, is it something that you found difficult to get to get used to? I know when I started, I really struggled. My first several years of editing, I wasn't good at it. I didn't enjoy it, and uh, and I think that's true for a lot of people. I think it's it's a real skill that takes time to hone. And I, I wonder if if your time not editing audio, obviously, but spending time, you know editing photos, doing these other things, making your Mac do what you want it to do. Uh, did that pay off in a sense, you think, when it came to editing podcast? Unequivocally say absolutely yes, because uh, I have someone, a wonderful someone in-house set me up tech-wise in learning how to use Logic. So I didn't have that barrier to entry where I didn't know what the shortcuts were, and I had to figure them all out on my own. I had someone come and tell me and show me what to do. But it is very much like editing um, photos, or I make a video every year for my family for Christmas. So the idea of cropping and splicing and moving things around, like that is something that I'm pretty familiar with. And it was pretty easy to get into and understand what sounds good quickly. Uh, I know that that kind of sounds braggy, but I really enjoyed doing it because it. I didn't feel a lot of resistance when I started doing it, and it it and it's just like what you said. I I like the idea of cleaning up something to a point that it just sounds really good. Like I like that power. (laughs) I like the, like, that's how I would always treat the photos I would take. I would spend a lot of time really perfecting and cleaning up someone's face, right? Like from something, if there's a weird shadow or there was just something that I felt like I can smooth that out and I can make this look better and I can make this part look better and I can Photoshop out that car and I can switch people's heads because that one person in the group photo was frowning and I don't like that. So I want to flip this other person around and like, the idea of being able to manipulate an image and make it into something that it wasn't before is really exciting. And I I would sit and meticulously do that for hours. And it was great. And I feel like the audio editing is, is very similar to that. It's just, I'm looking at waveforms now instead of, you know, pixels of color, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. You know, I've joked on this show before that I know what David's mic mute switch looks like. Sometimes he'll hit <laughs> yeah. it and the button makes a little noise and I know... I know what Micah's ums look like and I know what my ums look like, which are strangely different than his. It's 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 very funny how you can recognize certain words and uh, we clap at the end of the show, so, like an applause. So, you know, seeing, oh, there's the clapping. Yep. I don't even have to hear it. I know exactly where it is. That kind of stuff just... It happens to you and it kind of feels like you have a superpower, doesn't it? You're like looking at it. You're like, I have like another (laughs) sight into this world and I can see words in waveforms. And that's wild. An oddly specific superpower. (laughs) But but also the point I wanted to make, it's interesting because your your entry point was photography. I mean, that's where you really started getting digital. And now you're doing 
uh, audio editing. I know you're doing some video stuff too. And all of these things I do think are transferable. I think that the companies have done a good enough job that a lot of the paradigms are similar enough that like if you worked in Photoshop, then you can go on your iPad and draw a picture because the layer knowledge transfers over. And that's something that I, I think listeners should be aware of because when you invest time in one of these things, that doesn't really limit you. I think it opens up opportunities in entirely different mediums if you're willing to, to give it a try. I think it also teaches you how to find that knowledge too. Like I remember when I was starting in Photoshop and I would come across a problem I would have, like I wanted to do this thing to a photo. Like how do I do that? And you go searching and you find out how to do it. You watch some YouTube videos or or whatever, but and then you go back and you you apply it to what you wanted to create. And I feel like that also, that process of seeing that there are ways, it's not all just this giant black box where you can't see what you're doing or you can't figure it out. Like there are ways in to finding out what you need to do and you don't need to know everything right away. All you need to do is focus on the small tasks that you're looking to accomplish first and those will just gradually become this giant arsenal of information that you have to tackle some of these programs. Like I use Photoshop in a very specific way and I know some shortcuts because I had like this crazy keyboard overlay that I used for a while and I know how to do very specific certain things. And I don't know like half the program because I didn't need to, and I didn't need to learn everything in order to accomplish what I wanted to. And I feel the same way with logic and podcast editing. It's like I get those little bits of information and those little pieces of knowledge to accomplish what I want to. Like I figured out or I learned and how to pull clips from YouTube because I needed to. And now I can do that really without thinking about it because I just know exactly how to do it. I use Piezo actually, just if anyone needed to know that. And I I pull the clips out and I can move them around and where to put them and how to do it. And it's like, I don't know everything about logic because I don't need to. I just need it to know how to perform the task I need to perform. And if I ever need anything else, I feel like I have the confidence and the knowledge to go out and find out how to do that. And so many of those resources are so much easier to deal with than there used to be, right? Like the days before mm-hmm. YouTube, I don't know how anyone learned anything, right? Like, Oh my uh, gosh, I know, uh, right? You know, I run into <laughs> issues sometimes of like, you know, I have this problem and, you know, going out and, and finding a video about it that shows it and explains it and it's produced well can be such can be so empowering. You know, I don't have to dig through a 900 page manual or I don't have to go through a support yes. website or I don't have to bug somebody I know who made the answer like the It's out there if you're willing to do some light homework. Yeah. YouTube helped me learn how to use my power washer. So <laughs> perfect. <we> I love it. <laughs> Thanks, YouTube. <laughs> Well, just, you know, following up where we were at before, I think another way to look at that discussion of, you know, taking on so a, an application to a certain level, it, I think you look at it as that's as far as I'm comfortable at this stage. You know, I'm comfortable working with layers in this app, but I'm not comfortable working with brushes. But then as you get to become more um, comfortable with that level that you've accepted, then you can bite off a little bit more. And I think that's a great way to get better at this stuff. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Direct Mail, an easy-to-use email marketing program designed exclusively for the Mac to help you create and send 
great looking email newsletters. Email marketing is still an incredibly cost effective way to reach your customers and to grow your business. And for the past 15 years, Mac users around the world have trusted direct mail to handle all of their email marketing needs. It's designed just for the Mac, which means it's fast, it's easy to use, and works great with other apps and services you already use. With direct mail, you can quickly and easily compose high-quality emails that look great on mobile and desktop. You can grow your mailing list by creating email sign-up forms that you can simply add to your website or Facebook page, and you can have your email campaigns sent automatically without you lifting a finger. Direct Mail has real human live chat customer support available to answer your questions, and it is the number one top-rated email marketing app for the Mac, with five-star reviews on the Mac App Store, GitApp, and elsewhere. It's trusted by small businesses, nonprofits, schools, and Fortune 500 companies alike. Direct Mail is free to download and get started, but listeners of this podcast can save 10% off all of the full-feature pricing plans. Head on over to directmailmac.com slash MPU to check it out. That's directmailmac.com slash MPU and get 10% off when you opt in for a full featured plan. My thanks to Direct Mail for their support of Mac Power Users and all of RelayFM. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, you as artists. We're just going to call you an artist for the show. We don't care what you think. Okay. Uh, fine. <laughs> Rude, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know. So how did you get, I mean, at what point did that become a thing for you? I, maybe a couple years ago, I've, I've always admired and loved art and people who create art. And I, I was always one of those things that I would have, I'd be like, wow, that would be really a funny comic, or that would be a, a cool thing to draw if I could draw, but I can't. Yeah. Right. So I was, that would be where it stopped. I would just tell myself that I couldn't do it. And I just wasn't artistically inclined. I wasn't one of those people that can just look at a person's face and sketch it out and be like, wow, that looks like a face. I would draw it and it would look like a complete mutant, right? Like it just, it wouldn't look like a person. And there came a point where I started seeing a lot more stuff on the internet where people would post pictures of here is a something I drew in 2000. And here's something I drew in 2018, right? And it's like vastly improved. And those kind of comparison pictures kind of changed something in my mind where I was like, oh, you can learn to do this. You can learn to draw and be artistic and paint. And this is a skill that people developed. It's not just something someone has. And I think that that was the big turning point for me. And I got to a point where I was like, I'm tired of telling myself that I can't do it. Instead, I'm going to try to do it. And I'm going to try and get better. So one day I will have my this is my (laughs) thing I did in 2000. And then this is my thing I did in 2018. Right. So um, not exactly those years, but you, you get the idea. And so it was it was just a, okay, I'm going to buy a watercolor set and I'm going to just sit down and I'm going to do this. I'm going to try it. I'm going to use my iPad for drawing. I'm I I got I got tired of the excuses and I wanted to do it more than I was afraid to do it. And and the, you know it's called growth mindset and the the amazing thing is it works on anything no matter how old you are and no matter where you start. 
So, so when did you, when did you get the watercolor set? Cause in my, I'll tell you just in my head, cause I look at your pictures on Instagram. I, I just assumed you'd always been an artist. I didn't realize that this is a new thing for you. Yeah. My, my son was young enough that he was going to school. So I had some more time to myself and to try out some things. I'm just typing in painting and in photos to see if that actually <laughs> <Yeah>. happens. <laughs> to actually work. Or, or for me, it's a, a search of orders on Amazon. If I want to find out when I got into something. <laughs> um, it was 2015. <laughs> 2015. It's I, not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. I got a, a watercolor set and I decided to start trying and I would find pictures basically on Pinterest that I would copy. I would just out and out copy other people's work. Um, before that, I would always sketch stuff uh, as a teenager, you know, in, in various sketchbooks and things. But again, it was, it was always just copying. I was able to be a mimic of other people's stuff, but the idea of coming up with stuff on my own, that wasn't an exact like, okay, I'm going to put the paint exactly where they put the paint. Like, you know, that, that took all the time and that took the practice. I look back at some of the stuff that I did and I'm like, oh, I'm still pretty proud of that. And other things I'm like, wow, that I actually did improve. And and that feels really great. So, and so you went from watercolor. Now you said, are you in oils now? Yeah. Now I'm in oils because a friend of mine asked for a painting of bacon and eggs for Christmas. And I really like making gifts uh, if I can. And so I thought it would be really funny if I used a very serious medium for a really stupid painting. <laughs> and, and so I I painted him some bacon and eggs and I realized I really enjoyed the way oil paints worked. And I did it all wrong. I didn't dilute the paints at all. I probably spent a fortune on this silly painting because I didn't know what I was doing. But it came out great and I was proud of it. And like and the medium really worked with how I like to make stuff and the skills I think that I have. So I wanted to do it more. And then that kind of translated and, and fell into getting the studio space because oil paints are a seriously messy thing, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a big thing to take on. <laughs> yeah. It's like, even just like cleaning the brushes and like your fingers and everything. That's like a, that's like a, that's a serious undertaking. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of turpentine and like paint thinner and, and, you know, uh, linseed oil and all this kind of stuff. And it, and they take forever to dry. That was the thing about the bacon and egg painting that I found out was I painted very thick and it took a month to dry. I couldn't actually give it to him for Christmas because it wasn't dry and I was freaking out and I didn't know why that that was happening. And I'm all over Google, like what's happening here? And why is there dust and hair all over my painting? How do I stop doing that? And it was a very much a learning process, but it, it was pretty fun. And I'm, I'm really actually, I'm really proud of where I am now with it because I still like it and it's, it's still a big thing in my life and I'm still getting better every day. I really think that if you want to do something, you have to enjoy the process. I mean, if you want to get better at something, it has to be something you enjoy or, or what's the point. And it sounds like that's the case for you. Yep. It is. I found the right thing. What's the balance for you at this point, now that you've got the experience with the actual paints and brushes and you've got, but you've also got, uh, you know, a lot of exposure to the digital world. What is the balance for you between the two? 
in terms of your art? It's it's location. I guess location is the balance. Uh, when I can get to yeah. the studio, that's when I do oil paintings. Uh, sometimes I can't get there for over a week between times. Other times I feel like I'm there almost every day. And with the digital, it like I said earlier, it's it's a lot of um, when I'm traveling and I can't have a whole bunch of art supplies. It's just not realistic or I just don't want to carry all that, honestly. So it's nice to compartmentalize the thing that I'm working on and the style and the the medium I'm using based on my location. So like at home, I can use watercolor or pens or pencil because those are easy things to just have around or I'm hanging out on the couch and I can just be sketching something while we watch a movie or, you know, while Marco's podcasting and I'm kicked out of the office, I can, you know, have these things and, and have something else to do here. But oil paints are just not practical for the dining room table. What's been the hardest part for you? I mean, this is a serious hobby. I mean, what, what was the part that was hardest for you to kind of get over as you took this on? In general, um, yeah. failing being really bad in creating something super ugly or disappointing or the idea of translating, like having something come out, not as you pictured it to be. Um, and basically wanting to like, just go outside and set it on fire. Um, getting past that and not feeling like everything you're going to make is a failure that you need to push past the bad things and, and do something else. And it's just going to make the, all the bad things are just going to make the next thing so much better. I think that that's, that's why I like oil paints because they dry so slow. You have so much time to fix all your mistakes. You can make like 20 mistakes and just do, 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 like move it all around and it's just fine. Like nothing's going to go wrong. So I like to work in things that are more forgiving than something that feels really permanent and you make a mistake and, and that's it. You're like, you've ruined the whole project. I can't handle that. You know, it's interesting because as humans, I think in general, we're quite forgiving of other people. I know I feel like I am, but when it comes to ourselves, we are so hard on ourselves, yeah. you know, you know, you make one paint. Oh, that's trash. I'm never going to be good at this. It's so easy to, to let your brain go there. Oh, I, I'm yes. sure that must be difficult to get past. You should listen to Make Do. <laughs> it's a very good podcast about all of these feelings. Yeah, I, I, I'm really trying to get more serious about my saxophone. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking I was sounding pretty good. And I recorded myself or something I'm doing with a friend. I'm like, Oh, wait, I'm terrible still. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the, uh, then of course, that well, it must just be my mic. No, it's just me. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you have to let yourself go a little bit. Which I don't think that you're you're probably not terrible. But even if you do think you're, you have to be terrible first to get better, right? Yeah. Like yeah. everyone's terrible. Yeah. It's it's like what we tell um, my son who he gets frustrated when he can't find the right word for something or he can't draw what he wants to draw. And he was, we were like, did you, were you born being able to talk? Were you born being able to draw things? It's like, no, you had to learn them all and you need to get better at it. And that's what adults should tell themselves too, because for some reason we feel like we should know how to do this stuff and we should just be good at it. And that's not the process. Hey, you know, one thing we always talk about with listeners of the show, because everybody likes to hear the latest, you know, gadget or, or geeky app. Uh, are there any uh, apps or recent hardware purchases that just spark joy for you? Anything that's that lit you up? I just got an Apple Watch that I'm using for running, which is kind of a new thing in my life. And that's been kind of fun and interesting to play with. There, there are times that I'm frustrated with it, but 
other times it does serve the purpose that I need it to. You know, I need to listen to music while I'm running. I need it to keep track of my um, heart rate because it's way too high. And other than like, and it, um, I got one of those cool Nike straps. So that's kind of joyful. Yeah. <laughs> With all the uh, holes punched in it. Yeah. All the eyeballs. Oh, oh no. Just, yeah. Yep. Yeah, try it on to see that now. Uh, yeah. You're thank welcome. you for doing that. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Do, do you just wear it when you run or do you wear it all the time? I just wear it when I run because I have a lot of other watches that I like very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is where I live now. I, we are of the same, the same belief now. Yeah. It just sits on the charger waiting for me to go for a run. And then when I come back, it goes right back on the charger. See, now now Hurley keeps telling me that because I've bought a few fancy pins on his recommendation that I'm destined to buy a fancy watch. And yes, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I, I really love my Apple watch. Never say never. I don't know. Some of those watches are beautiful, man. <laughs> They're beautiful. But just so useful, you know, the, the Apple watch. Is it? they all tell time that's the most useful part of it right you and steven man you guys are both trying to push me there it's a good push you'll like it you'll like it event you'll thank us later (laughs) steven now are you let's just get a real quick check-in from you steven because i know that this is like for you this is a journey right Mm. are you are, are you farther away from wanting to wear your apple watch or closer to wearing it at this point further away i think just this morning went to the gym wore it and then i had to run about 45 minutes worth of errands and every time the thing buzzed with a text message i was like why am i wearing this it's uh just i'm afraid it's just fallen out of fallen out of something that i want to oh boy I do. oh boy you know those those notifications are manageable right uh, yeah, and I have them off for almost everything. I get a lot of iMessages. Yeah. And uh, I have noisy threads Yeah, with, you know, I don't want to name names, but my co-hosts from my other podcasts, uh, they're muted because they just talk all the time. But even, you know, even <laughs> outside of that, it's just every single vibration felt like just it wants my attention. I don't want to give it to it. Well, I'm, I'm going to stay on the Apple Watch bandwagon because I, I still love mine. And the notifications on mine are very minimal because I've turned so many of them off. But when I do get one, I'm I'm glad to be getting it. So I get it, though. I get it. Well, that's we we didn't mean to go off into Apple Watch Land there, but the uh, it, it happens. Yeah, this is the Mac Power user, so we can't. It's almost as if it draws you in when you don't want it to. Weird. Yes, exactly. Basically, exactly. the mob, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tiff Armit, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us. I, I really enjoyed listening to all of the creative things you're doing. And, and I just can't wait to talk to you in a year or two and find out what's next. I mean, maybe it's going to be, um, I don't know, maybe you're going to be doing stained glass or wrought iron. <laughs> what's stained next? glass like my namesake, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I got to... Um, not only talk about technology, but also talk about a little bit of like art and painting, which I think that that was kind of fun. Could you make me a Casey List statue for my garden? That'd be awesome. Oh, that, okay. Okay. I can, I, I'm going to start taking commissions of like podcaster. I mean, because like I really do want to do a portrait of Merlin. Um, I, I like the idea of painting my friends. So, you know, watch out, you guys. <laughs> you might be next. I can't decide if for my Casey List statue, I'd rather have him sitting there thoughtfully with his hand, his fingers on his chin, mm-hmm. or one of him spilling a glass of water on a MacBook. I, oh, you got to have the spilling. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. So we're going to put a list of TIFFs podcasts in the show notes so you can go anywhere else folks should be looking for you. Um, let's see. You can go check out my MySpace page. But <laughs> All right. Yes. We're going to link your MySpace page. Yeah, that's, that's still a thing, right? Yeah, please do. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we're, we're definitely going to link your Instagram because uh, I, I really, yes, please. I, I love your Instagram. It's one of my favorites. So that's a Thanks. good one. Yeah, I, I'm on there the most. Um, and I do have a website, which is tiffanyarment.com, which should be Tiff Arment, actually. I should change that. But it has, I don't know, all the links to all the places that I am on the internet. All right. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over on relay.fm slash MPU. Thanks to our sponsors today, 1Password, Omni Group, and Direct Mail. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>